Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's continue talking about topics like split churches. So today we are talking about King James Onlyism. If you haven't watched the rest of our series, please do so because it builds some historical context of what we're talking about here. Today we're doing King James Version Onlyist objections responded to. And this is going to be an ongoing series I do on this channel where I'm just going to take a few minutes to uh, respond to an objection that King James only us bring up. And I want this all in a singular playlist. That way it makes it easy for all of you to be able to refer to some of these things. And it's going to take some time for me to get all these. So like I said, it's just going to be an ongoing thing. But I wanted to have a couple up right now. That way I can continue on other topics, refer to this, and add on to this as I go. Uh, I already received some critiques from people who are King James only us claiming the fact that I'm talking about a different King James. That was another King James. I am not. The King James who I'm talking about is one that I referred to and it's historically verifiable. You can go fact check me on that. I don't come on here typically with half-baked research. I really try to make sure that what I am saying is accurate and if not, I am more than happy to admit it when I'm wrong. I'm not here to preserve ego. I'm here to try to educate you all. So what I'm bringing up today, David, uh, Dr. David Wood has brought up and Dr. James White has brought up and now I'm bringing it up and many others have brought it up beforehand. So here's the thing. One question that we get as modern Bible people, I guess we're just, I don't even consider myself like, oh, I'm not an advocate for modern translation because there are some bad modern translations, okay? The Message Bible, that's terrible, okay? It's not even translation really, but you get it. There are bad translations. I'm just advocating for good translational work based on good historical documents. That's all I'm advocating for and that we stop worshiping one singular text. And I know some people really don't like it the way I put it that way, but I'm going to explain to you how this actually does relate critically in the battlegrounds of ideas, uh, of apologetics, and of how this actually directly relates to Christianity and how King James Onlyism truly hurts our way to defend our faith. And we're talking about that today. So, the, and this relates to the question of why not just one text? Why not just one? Why couldn't God just preserve one text? Or why is it that we can't just have the one English translation? Well, let me explain to you why. So many accuse us, people like myself, of not being able to know what the Bible says. This is in fact false. If you watched my other videos, you'll first know that the accuracy and similarities between them is excruciatingly high. So we all have the same Bible, essentially, okay? We might have a small variant here and there, but none of them are actually anything detrimental to doctrines as much as people want to uh, sit there and try to bash, shove that in there a little bit, shoehorn and say that. Uh, we're going to talk about that in the next video a little bit. But anyway, this is really false because we simply understand that translations are, in fact, translations, meaning that they might use different synonyms, they might paraphrase, they might use different figures of speech, they might use different cultural idioms, depending on where, what, who, and all that stuff that goes into this. In fact, many guys I've mentioned before, I have done deaf interpreting work before, and when, as a deaf interpreter, if you had four, four different deaf interpreters interpreting the speech that a president gave, for example, all four interpreters would use different wording. They would all translate that slightly differently, but the same message, if you're a good translator, will come across. So you'll also notice that the King James Only Believer, believer they, they treasure the King James a lot. And I think that's fair that we all do. But see, where we treasure it, they elevate it to almost divinity, to question the King James. They equate, so they, they equate questioning the King James as questioning God himself, and they equate the King James as say, this is the word of God. And if you question it, you're questioning the word of God. No, I'm not questioning the word of God. I might be questioning a translational issue, not, you know, 
a word issue, the fact that it is God, a doctrinal issue. So making one singular translation from the 1600s the standard for all translations before or after it is simply not intellectually honest, is not historically honest, and honestly, can we just call it what it is? It is a blind tradition. Uh, you know, what about the Geneva Bible or Bishop's Bible before that? Oh, no, not those. The King James. Okay, so why the King James in comparison to those? Oh, not oh, not the NIV, not the American Standard Version, not the NASB or the ESV. Nope, the King James. So not, nothing before or after. It has to be the King James. And they say, this is how God preserved his word. On what evidence and by what standard? And here's the thing. When we're just focusing on one and making that singular one by blind faith our standard, we really, really are in a tough spot because we're casting out our oldest manuscripts, our easiest ways to verify uh, scripture, our best historical documents to verify Christianity. We're casting them out of the way and just saying, nope, the King James is it. This actually resembles a major world religion and it's not Christianity. It resembles, you guessed it, Islam. And I know a lot of people aren't going to like that I just said that. But here's the thing. This resembles Islam more than it resembles Christianity. And let me explain. There's this guy in Muslim history who played a major role. It is Muhammad's son-in-law, Uthman ibn Affan. And he was between, lived between 579 and 656. Okay, so he played a major role, and what did he do? Is that he took the Quran, all the manuscripts, and he basically, not all the manuscripts actually, he just compiled all the works of the Quran into one. Why? Now, what, you know, what brought this about? That seems pretty normal. Well, around 650, so near the end of his life, he realized that there was variants going on in Islam, that people were starting to believe different things, that there, the Quran was written a little bit differently in different areas as it was being hand-copied all throughout the, the Middle East. Fearing a reformation similar to that of Christianity, he was like, oh man, nope, that's it. I'm pulling the trigger on this. So he got a committee together and they put together their own compilation of the Quran. So when they put this compilation together, they, they made this particular compilation text, sound like the Texas Receptus, and made that the, various, the very standard by which all others would be judged. So what they did is they commanded all other ones to be burned. So keep in mind, they didn't compare the oldest manuscripts. They didn't go across the nation and gather all of them and compare them and weigh them and try to go, nope. They made their own with their own little committee and all others to this day are considered to have been destroyed during this time. So what Islam and Muslim, so what Islam does is they basically say this one singular one is the translation is the singular standard by which all are held. It is the singular translation that you have now, right? It's, it is the word of God, or the word of Allah, as they would say. This causes a real problem for them, because they all have to take in blind faith that Uthman, or Uthman, got it right. They have to believe that he did, but they have no way of verifying that he did. They just have to take it in blind faith. This makes it really hard for Muslim apologists to be able to defend the historicity of Islam. So here we have, within 20 years of Muhammad's death, a compiled writing with all the original versions destroyed, a new put-together thing that we can't confirm is true or not, and order all the other Qurans to be burned and discarded, and that would become the standard for the entire Muslim empire. So all Muslims to this day have a blind faith that Uthman got it right. 
How does this apply to the King James Only Advocate? I think that it's quite obvious. The King James Only Advocate would essentially be doing this very thing. Say that all the stuff before it don't, doesn't matter. All the historical documents we have now that have come out doesn't matter. We have our one, and that one can be is unquestionable. That one is the standard. That one got it right. Why? Because we know he did. It's silly. It actually completely falls apart on itself because what you've done is you've taken your oldest manuscripts, the very cornerstone by which your histor the historicity of the verification of Christianity is able to be carried, and you threw the cornerstone out and just simply said, I'll keep the pillars. And I'm going to stick with the Byzantine text, or I'm going to stick with the Textus Receptus, which is even later, or even later yet, the King James. And not even the 1611 King James, remember? We talked about that. The 1611 King James is next to impossible to get your hands on. You, in fact, have a revised edition to this day. So, the consequences be damned, right? The history not be considered, the, because they have to believe that King James got it right. Just like Muslims have to do with Uthman. Having just one or just a majority text is to discard the oldest text and the history that they reflect. So if you only hold on to the majority text, you're throwing out the, the greatest foundation you have. One of the best ways we can say that show the fact that, oh no, our word is preserved. You know, it's not been changed throughout the ages because the accusation people say, well, it's been copied and copied and copied and copied. You don't know if it's accurate. Yeah, it has been copied and copied. And we have really old texts that show that they were copied accurately. And there might be some small variants, but they're mostly punctuation differences, but nothing doctr overly doctrinal, and nothing that actually affects the historicity in any way, shape, or form. It is an amazing defense, and it makes it really hard because we can hold historians to historical documental standards. So when they're saying Plato, we have this much on Plato, this much on Caesar, how do we know? Because these two documents say this, and they were within this 100 years of this person. We go, well, you know what's funny is that we have even more resources than you do, and closer to the time of Christ than, than you do. Uh, and so basically, if we take all the bullet points that you guys hold to say that Caesar was real and everything that all those sources are accurate or Alexander the Great, we apply those same standards and Jesus wins by miles. But once you throw out, okay, once you throw out those Alexandrian text types and, and even the, some of the Byzantine, depending on how extreme you are in your King James Onlyism, you are now holding a singular standard, just like the Muslims are, and taking a blind faith that they must have got it right. And Christianity cannot, in the academic world or in the apologetic world, be able to stand up on those two feet. And do you really think God is so blind that he's not able to make sure that we can academically verify the Bible? Do you, do you think our academics can somehow verify things better than God can? I also find this really funny that we would even say that all these texts are corrupted as if God has no control over the preservation of his word. If he says he preserved his word, he preserved his word. Satan can't do bunk for the, against that. And yet that's the argument that people make. Well, Satan corrupted those. Really? I didn't know Satan had the power to corrupt, you know, the, the preservation of God's word when he said he was going to preserve it. I find that interesting. So anyway... Anyway, the point is that this makes it impossible for us to say that God preserved his scripture. And we are saying essentially that the oldest texts are, are no longer applicable. And over time, 
we just corrected it. So our oldest text, we corrected the oldest text. That's kind of what Uthman did. It's the exact same thing, actually. So if there is just one, here's the thing. Why not just the one then? Why, didn't, why don't we have the originals? Why didn't God just preserve the originals and we have those at here? Well, here's the thing. We already see how extreme people get with worshiping the King James. Could you imagine if we had the originals that the apostles themselves had penned down? What that would be, what that would look like, how impossible it would be. I mean, imagine the zealotry that would come from that. Good grief. We have one historical translation and people go just AWOL over that, let alone the originals. So I think there's a practicality there. But also, if there is just one, would it not be easier for mankind to run around and hunt that singular one down and burn it? So God preserved his word in an incredible way. He knows that his, his word is the enemy of man, right? So, well, instead of just having one, how about I multiply it exponentially, spread it across the entire known world. And then at, over time, my people, they're going to rebuild it they're from the ground up. And it, my word had never passed away. It never moved a jot or a tittle. It has always been there. And it's always been verifiable. And it's across the entire known world. No one can find it all. Because there's been many people. Like Nero tried to destroy all the, all the manuscripts. And he was unsuccessful. That's the best part about Christianity. Is we have so many all across. And that we can compare them and completely know what God originally intended to say. Or what was really said. And that most of them were punctuation errors. And nothing affected us doctrinally. So it's pretty cool. God didn't just preserve his word. He preserved it exponentially. And that is something that we need to understand. So like, think about it like in the movies. Like we've all seen the movies where uh, with the treasure hunt, right? We need all these different pieces to be able to put it together and find out the truth. And, you know, this whole puzzle like a Tomb Raider or Indiana Jones kind of feel. And it's kind of like what happened. Like God, like it's almost like at the beginning of the movie. It's like, you know, before the time of men, X, Y, Z happened. And then they took it and they shattered it a million pieces and cast it across all the corners of the earth to be found one day and put together again. It's kind of that same idea. It's like God preserved his word that much and that well. And even with the, some of the newest texts and the oldest texts, there's not many, much variance between them. They're like the most extreme is like 85% accurate. <laughs> and that sounds like the most extreme, it seems like. So anyway, in conclusion, the bottom line is that the King James only advocate reduces our argument for Christianity to a blind trust in one singular standard and that that one must have got it right. Regardless of any new manuscripts found, regardless of the age of any manuscripts found, or the weight that they hold translationally, or anything else proposed, the King James, we are saying, is the one and only standard, just as Muslims have to do with Uthman. It reduces us, reduces us to a blind, ignorant faith as opposed to a trusted faith that is correct. And there's a difference between an ignorant faith and an educated faith. There is a blind, like a really foolish, just, I'm going to take a hook, line, and sinker. And then there's the biblical faith, which is trust. And in order to trust something, you need to be able to verify something. And there's a lot of ways we can verify Christianity. So it's not just, so anyway, God did preserve his word, just not in a singular book. But he did so in thousands of manuscripts spread across the ancient world, ranging in ages. And in short, as I said before, he preserved it exponentially. So to the King James only advocate, I just simply return to you by what standard can you sit there and hold that the King James got it right. And do you not realize that you're throwing history out with it? And that we are, in fact, becoming just as bad as the Muslims have it. 
I could imagine trying to defend my, uh, my faith with extremely new manuscripts only. In fact, those new ones, being able to verify them with those ancient ones, that's what makes it powerful. That's what makes our faith so robust historically. And that is why that Christianity, when it goes into the academic world, is still able to hold up where no other religion really does. So anyway, I hope this was helpful for somebody. I hope, hit that sub button, hit the like button. If you hate me, hit the dislike button. Uh, but either way, subscribe to the channel, share it around. We're growing pretty quickly now. So thank you guys for all your support, those who hang around. That My name is Will again. This has been The Church Split.